Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And on this Monday, we are talking about Minute 16, which begins with Jesse calling out to Max, and it ends with Goose arriving at the Halls of Justice. Good Monday morning, Julia. Happy Monday. (laughs) So, I particularly like how this minute begins, because it probably begins in the most Australian way possible. Of one person yelling at another person with just, oi! Yeah. (laughs) So, one thing that really stopped me as I was watching this minute was the thought about neighbors. We discussed last minute how that house is obviously divided up into different apartments. But it made me wonder, like, do they have neighbors? How many neighbors do they have? Do those neighbors appreciate the fact that, you know, Max leaves his police radio on all night with the windows rolled down, just chattering away? Because I'm sure that sounds just amazing. Yeah, my first thought was the saxophone. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that one. Yeah. (laughs) If our next door neighbor was playing a saxophone in her living room, I think I would go bananas. Yeah. I mean, because we only see her playing the saxophone once, but you got to wonder... I mean, like, she has to practice. Yeah, she has to practice. So is like every night just sitting on the other side of that wall, ripping your hair out because your neighbor is constantly playing the saxophone. Like we lived above a guy who played concert guitar. Like, and this, it wasn't like he was in a garage band or anything like this. This was very professional sounding, deliberative guitar playing. But we would sit in the living room and I would be able to hear it. I don't know how much you were able to hear. I don't remember it annoying me, but I think I could hear it. Yeah, I think I could hear it, but I don't remember it being annoying. There are definitely more annoying instruments that neighbors can play. Right, like the saxophone? Yeah. Any sort of brass instrument. Yes. It's not necessarily something that you can play, I want to say, quietly and considerately. Right, it's like all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unless... Brass instruments suddenly have volume settings that I wasn't aware of. Yeah, it's pretty much all or nothing. I don't know. They You can mute a trumpet or a trombone with that thing in the horn. Yeah. They do it with saxophones, too. Anything with that, like that bell at the end. You can put like a plug in it and it'll be muted. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that we ever see her using one of those. And <laughs> Nope. We also don't ever see any neighbors, so. Exactly. We're we're sort of speculating that they even exist at this point. Yes. It's not like they're banging on the, the floor with the with the broom telling them mm. to be quiet. Well, you know, they probably shouldn't be doing that because Sprague is armed and dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. You think Max is a tough character to deal with. Jesse said herself that Sprague takes after his old man and that he and Max He's calls a monster. straight up calls him a monster. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Max so he's at the bottom of the stairs. He turns around and looks up at Jesse, And she starts making these hand motions. And she does a couple of hand motions. We get a reverse shot on Max. And then we look up. And she finishes her little hand motions there. And Max looks up at her and he asks, what was that? 
Like, literally, what's that? And she gives him an answer, but it's the wrong answer. Now, yeah. that's not entirely fair. I should probably explain my reasoning there. IMDB trivia is quick to point out that Jessie doesn't use real sign language. Those are literally just movements that she made up on the spot. Or if not on the spot, probably just before the the shoot there. I jumped on YouTube and a couple of different things to try and see what the actual sign is when you want to tell someone in sign language that you're crazy about them. Um, Trickier than I thought it was going to be because a lot of those videos where they explain sign language are surprise, surprise, made for deaf people. (laughs) And so the presenters in the videos are using American Sign Language, and I don't speak American Sign Language, or more appropriately, I don't sign American Sign Language. So I'm kind of watching them use these signs in this video, and I'm sitting there like, I have no idea what's going on. No idea what's going on. So I think I got... The gist of what crazy about you actually is, you kind of take your fist and put it in front of your face and then move it in some way. But even then, I I couldn't tell you 100% exactly what it is, but it's not what she did. Yeah, I... It's cute that she signs to him that she's crazy about him. I mean, I can't argue with that reasoning. But, I don't know. But... It seems... Okay, so in contrast to the grumpy mask that we saw in the last minute... That was clearly an inside thing that they that they did back and forth. And she knew exactly what he was accusing her of and trying to get her out of when she said, I'm not grumpy. This is exactly the opposite. He has no idea what she's signing to him. It's like she just thought up on the moment, oh, I'll run out there, sign him something real quick to let him know, you know, that I love him. And he has no idea. It would have been a lot... I think it would have been a lot more meaningful if she had signed something. First of all, it was actually what it she was saying. I mean, it's not hard to sign I love you. And that he said something that he reciprocated in a way that this is a pattern that they follow. That he either said, like, for a perfect example from Ghost, ditto. Like, right back at you. Or he signed something in return. That it's a little bit that they do. Mm-hmm. And that would have been, I think, sweeter, more romantic. Got across the message that... She forgives him if he needs forgiving. That she forgives him for leaving and that everything's fine. As is where she signed something, he didn't know what it meant. I don't know. It's a little lame. It kind of tells me that they're constantly inventing these new little inside jokes between them. Okay. That this is just another step in the ever-evolving lexicon of their little inside jokes and cutesy things. Yes. And... I cannot argue against it being cute, but it's too long, it's too complicated, far too many steps. I mean, it's adorable, but it's dumb and I hate it. (laughs) Uh, You actually kind of brought me back around a little tiny bit to liking it by pointing out that those little inside jokes or traditions, they evolve over time. And new ones get created and if i remember correctly there's a callback to this later on right yeah he remembers enough of this to recreate it further along in the movie yes so i think i'll appreciate it later on when it's referenced but now in this scene i would i think it would have been stronger for the scene if it was a tradition already established between the two of them Mm -hmm. that's very fair which would have been very easy to do because they just did it last minute established that we may not know what's going on But they do. Yeah. So, 
yeah. I mean, I'm not opposed to the idea of her being crazy about Max. If anything, I want them to be as devoted to each other as they already are, based on what we've seen. Yes. But, like, I just... Mm, not a huge fan of all these complicated motions. I just, it's too much. Roll it back a little bit, is all now, I'm saying. Now, in your, to in this your movie in from the 70s. investigation <laughs> of this scene and the sign language, did you find out, is Australian sign language different than American sign language? Because I know times when I've seen a, a speech or something have a signer, sometimes there are two signers. And you can tell just by looking at them, they're doing two different languages. So I know that there's at least two common sign languages, one being American and I haven't the faintest what the other one is. So is it possible that she is speaking a different sign language? So Australian sign language is the official sign language used in Australia, and it is related to British sign language and New Zealand sign language. Even though both the United States and Australia both speak English predominantly, the Australian Sign Language and American Sign Language are very different. And that is from startasl.com. So. Although I would assume that commenters who are saying that she's not actually saying crazy about yet, I would like to think that they are saying that with the frame of mind of Australian Sign Language. Yeah, I don't... I don't... Although I can really trust internet commenters to be accurate. I don't I'm not sure. think I'd be able to subscribe to the idea that the 17-step thing that she does is actual Australian for crazy about you. Yeah. Because <laughs> crazy about you is literally three words. Right. You and could... she does a lot. And I think one of the motions that she does, two of the motions that she does, looks like counting. Yeah. She's like touching her fingers. And then and she it... like points at him. Right. So that's one word right there. You. Yeah. Done. One quick motion. Easy peasy. So I don't know what she I don't know what she was saying. But she was also coming from someone who doesn't um who doesn't know sign language at all. She didn't seem to be very good at it. No. Very practiced at it. Not that she was bad at it. She just seemed to be unsure of her motions. Like the first motion she did is she kinda waved her finger next to her head. That would be crazy. Crazy. And then she like taps her mouth. We don't see what she does after that because we cut to Max. She comes back and she's counting on her fingers, pokes the side of her hand and then points to him. So it's like whatever the motion for about or whatever the motion that she did after the finger wave to signify that it meant crazy as in the love as opposed to crazy as the mental condition. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, oh, it's just too much. It's too much. It does occur to me, and I think I'm probably reading way too much into it, is that we've established their relationship is very loving. Now we've established that she's crazy about him. Later on, we established that he is also crazy about her. So we're building up this relationship, labeling it as crazy, and then we flip to Max being mad. So I like, like going mad like, because he doesn't have her around anymore. Yes. Spoiler alert for <laughs> a movie that you've assumedly already seen all the way through because if you're watching it one minute at a time like we are i can't help you <laughs> we have an excuse we're making a podcast i don't know what you're thinking so, so i see the parallel there is that they they're crazy about each other but they still have each other it's a love crazy yeah and i i think a lot of people have experienced that love crazy yeah um, and then that goes away and all that's left is the crazy. Right. 
all that's left is Max going mad. So after she explains what it is, she gives him a smile. We get a reverse shot on him, and he smiles back. Yeah, which I thought that was a great smile. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, it's Mel Gibson. The two of them together are just the best, and you just want to take them and put them in a bubble and be like, no, leave my Jesse and Max alone. Right, nothing bad can ever happen to them. Yeah, I mean, it's not how it ends, but... (laughs) It's heartbreaking. It is. When you think of how think... the movie ends, where <laughs> George, they are now versus George where Miller they go. George Miller did a really oh good gosh. job of getting us invested in the characters as individuals and the characters as a couple. Not so much, I have to say, where he fell off was getting us invested in the characters as a family unit. Yeah. I think the baby was just not... Mm, I, You know... If the baby was completely absent, I don't think the movie would have changed almost at all. I mean, there was a scene in the end-ish that yeah. would have had to change. Once once they start going on vacation, there the, are parts that the baby need is going the baby. to contribute to. But... but for the most part, we just don't need the baby. Yeah, we're not going to be getting to that stuff for a while A while, now, so. yeah. <laughs> don't hold your breath. It'll be several weeks. <laughs> so... After they smile at each other, Max turns around and he tosses his gear into the open window of his car. Mm-hmm. Just, like, do, do they not have, like, bugs and spiders and things that want to kill you in Australia that would crawl into an open window? Well, I think, as Americans, we make fun of, make light of, like, the Australian environment and way of life. Saying that in Australia, everything will kill you. I think that's how people put it. Yeah. How do Australians feel about that? I mean, if they were really that scared, they wouldn't live in Australia anymore. They'd all move away if they were really that scared of spiders and lizards and things and everything in Australia that will kill you. Like, they just deal with it because they're fine with it. So that doesn't surprise me at all. The fact that his window was down didn't even, I didn't even notice it. What I did notice and I want to comment on before we switch scenes uh, that I touched on a little tiny bit last minute is during an... I think it's during this whole time, the whole sign language exchange, we can hear in the background the dispatcher on the radio. Right. And I thought that was very interesting that I feel like the dispatcher represents the MFP and that part of his life. And Jesse's song represents his home life. And during that whole exchange, while they're outside, you can hear both of them. It's the work life creeping in and infiltrating his home life. Mm -hmm. And we can see how that has kind of soured the morning a little bit. Yeah. That Jesse was sulking because he had to go back to work. And then once she has stopped sulking because we're outside and she stopped, we hear the dispatcher coming in and pulling us out of the sweet home life Mm -hmm. that he has enjoyed. You can almost say that this entire last sequence of him being at home over the last several minutes, that either it was the night before and they're enjoying time together and then the news radio Mm -hmm. program comes on. Well, it's a television program, but the news comes on and brings up the subject of the Knight Rider and that's work creeping into their home life there. The next morning when we see him, he's already dressed partially in his uniform. So that's another element of work creeping into his family life there. He's got such an overwhelming profession that it just seeps into every element of his life. And I find it interesting. We're going to see that we we head back to work with him in the second half of this minute. 
But when he's on the job, there's none of that. There's none of his his family life seeping into when he's on the clock. Yeah, it's all but one when, way. But when he's off the clock, his job is constantly worming its way into that time he's supposed to be able to devote fully to his family. Yeah. I think I think looking at it that way and noticing those details helps explain his actions a little further down into the movie where he takes a step back. Yeah. It'll be interesting as we gather more evidence of that and get closer to that scene, how that stepping away feels different hmm. after some overanalyzing rather than just watching the movie. Right. <laughs> I think a lot of things are going to feel different after overanalyzing. So speaking of work life, we smash cut from Jesse watching Max from the top of the stairs. We go right to an exterior shot yes. of the Halls of Justice. It was very jarring, very sudden. The music was a drastic change. Oh, yeah. From like soft and gentle and romantic to, to like, like, bah, 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 yeah. like heavy horns. Yes. I, I appreciate that this minute is almost perfectly split in two. Mm-hmm. We get 30 seconds of home and then like 30 seconds of work. Yes. It's like, I don't think I could have planned it any better. So as we are showing these outside establishing shots, we have the dispatch speaking over the loudspeaker. There's mention of supplies that can be requisitioned from the people's bond and the officers are encouraged not to exploit their privileges there's also a thing about memorandum seven but we're going to talk about seven in the next minute because okay we get the end of that statement in the next minute but i I find it interesting real quick before you mentioned that what was that you said about requisitioning from the people's... That's what I wanted to bring up. Okay. The MFP have, like, they call it the people's bond, which I guess is a cache of supplies that the MFP officers are able to pull from. Uh-huh. And I feel like... like apples? I feel like that's the implication, that they have food stores and yeah. ammunition supplies and things that they have holed up. And it's taken... You know, like taxes, probably, from the surrounding communities and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense, because that's what police stations do. They use local taxes to fund their supplies. And I find it interesting that they have to come right out and tell the officers, hey, just because we have this stuff here doesn't mean you can just take from it willy-nilly. Right. I think that... It kind of disappoints me to say this, but I think they're talking to Max. I think that's how we could read it, is that he took three apples. He took too many apples. One for himself, one for Goose, and we never see what happens to that third apple. And I know they're just apples, but it feels very representative. And I'm a little disappointed in Max that he took too many apples. So the thing I like about what he's doing there, he's actually like juggling the apples. Yes. And then um, he ends up throwing one to uh, Goose when he rides up. But while he's waiting in the courtyard... I want to talk a little bit about the location. Okay. And this is where that sewage thing I was talking about okay. comes up. <laughs> so that area is the Spotswood Pumping Station in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. So it was built in the 1890s as a key component of the Melbourne sewerage scheme. All of this information I took from museumvictoria.com.au slash science work talking about that specific building or those specific buildings. Uh, Functioning as the heart of the system, the pumping station played a vital role in helping to overcome the city's early public health and sanitation problems. 
For almost 70 years, from 1898, all the sewage collected in Melbourne's underground sewers passed through the pumps at Spotswood on its way to the treatment works in Werribee. The architectural designs for the pumping station buildings were prepared by the Board of Works' designing engineer, Christian Kausmauer, who's a German. Ah. It was based on a classical revival style known as Second French Empire, which was popular in Europe during the mid-19th century. The buildings were constructed by the contractor A.G. Shaw in polychrome brickwork on bluestone footings supplied by the Footscray and Malmesbury Stone Cutting and Quarrying Company. The predominant brick color is red, with cream brick string courses, coins, window arches, and pilasters and cornices of Barabool sandstone. And when I said sandstone, I meant sandstone. <laughs> the roofs were originally clad in Welsh slate with glazed skylights over raised lantern ventilators along each ridge line. So very iconic looking. Yes. Which is pretty much exactly why they picked it as the facade of the MFP. Yes. So the courtyard scene that we're in right now, that's in the, what's the name of the building you just talked about? I the Spots, Spotswood Pumping Station. So the courtyard, is it also the exteriors that we see? Is it also the pumping station? Pretty much. Okay, nice. Yeah, it's part of a larger complex, obviously. But that co- courtyard where Max is waiting, there's a later scene involving some of the, the gang members that's shot outside. That's also in the pumping station. It's nice because it's got those two large sections of building that kind of have a nice clean opening to them. But then you also have the courtyard as well. Very cool looking. And I figured you'd appreciate a bit of talk about architectural design. Yes. So from the high angle shot in the courtyard, we zoom in on Max juggling the apples. Um, So you know how much I love watching CinemaSins videos on YouTube. Uh, Plenty of times we've heard the statement... Um, the narrator Jeremy he narrates all of the sins and he says one of the sins he uses is the director said here eat an apple it'll make you look like even more of an (laughs) a-hole and that's exactly what I thought of when I saw Max take one of the apples and take a big old bite out of it yep and I thought okay why (laughs) why is that a thing so I looked up on tv tropes and the trope specifically is called the snack is more interesting And this is kind of a thing that permeates through this whole scene of him and Goose that's coming up. And so the trope is described thusly on tvtropes.org. A character enters what should be a serious situation for them and yet seems completely bored with the events. Instead of giving the occasion his full attention, they seem more invested in the snack they happen to be eating. Apples, potato chips, or any other food that's particularly noisy, uh, are the most popular for this since the obnoxiously loud crunching can drown out what's going on around the eater. Okay, yeah, that definitely seems like something that happens. The sample picture on the article is Chris Pine from the first Star Trek movie while he's taking the Kobayashi Maru test. He's sitting in that captain's chair chomping on an apple. Yes. So, excellent example Yes. of that trope in action. So, the last quarter of this minute is taken up by goose riding in on his motorcycle with his leg in a cast up on the handlebars we get an imdb continuity error ping in this minute yeah so the error states goose falls on his left leg during the his crash in the opening chase scene in this next scene he has a cast on his right leg so i'm like yeah that sounds right because when he comes up he's got his right leg up on the thing and i'm like okay 
let's go back and watch the crash. And so that's what I did. Yeah. Like five times. Uh huh. <laughs> and each time I'm watching this, I'm seeing him fall down with his left leg underneath the bike and him sliding along. And I'm like, okay, maybe the fairing on the side of the bike protected his leg enough that his left leg would be okay. Maybe he smashed his right leg against the pickup or something like that. Nope, not how it happens. The way the bike slides on its side, the back tire of the motorcycle hits the pickup truck and his arm, he slams on the side of the pickup truck almost as if he's hitting it. And his right leg is just fine. So I don't see any situation from that crash specifically as to why that right leg would be broken. And we know that the broken leg came from that crash because that we got that one line of dialogue from the caravan driver. I think his leg is broken. Yeah, she plainly said, I think his leg is broken. But there's no reason why the right leg would be broken. And it's a huge continuity error. Well, so I did not pick up on that error. I wrote in my notes that it's lucky he broke his right leg so that he can shift his bike with his left. Very true. Now, I don't know if Australian bikes might be different that you shift with your left foot. Yeah, if the steering wheels are on the right side of the car, maybe, maybe the motorcycles pedals... are arranged differently as well. Yeah. But considering that he rode in just fine, I'm going to say yes, that the, the shifter is on the left foot. Now, back to the crash. I think we decided that it was a conscious control decision on his part because it was the best outcome that he decided to lay down his bike. Right, because his his brakes were already locked up. Right, there wasn't really anything else that he could do. Now, considering that he did it on purpose, wouldn't he lay down on his right side to protect his left leg, which is his riding leg, and the parts of the bike that are on the left side for the shifting? Wouldn't he want to protect that side of the bike and so put that side of the bike up? Mm. So shouldn't he have fallen on purpose to his right? I'm going to say yes, he should have. If he had the choice, which I think we decided he did have the choice. It, it was controlled. He did it on purpose. Yeah, because I mean, your clutch is on the left side. Down. Your shifting pedals are on the left side. The only thing you got on the right side are brakes. Right, and, and that's you, hand, right? Well, you've got the handbrake is the front tire and the foot brake is the back tire. Oh, okay. And so even if the back brake gets messed up, it's like if your right leg is broken, you're not going to be able to press that anyway. Right. So I think what happened is they filmed the stunt (laughs) and then they had it in the script already that he had broken his right leg. Yeah. Because as they were writing it up, they figured, okay, well, we can't make him break his left leg because then he wouldn't be able to shift or anything like that. And so when they actually did the day of the stunt, they probably didn't have a spare goose motorcycle lying around like we saw in the making of documentary that we watched they only had 10 motorcycles Mm -hmm. they only had 10 kawasaki's that were given them by the company and they had to do goose's motorcycle they had to do a bunch of the hero motorcycles for the gang members it's like they didn't have just oodles of production quality motorcycles lying around that they could just crash time after time after time right i imagine they only got one shot and we also learned that they had trouble with their stunt coordinator their stunt director i think his title page yeah yes he was in quite a serious accident just as filming was getting started so he was out of commission the way they were talking it made it sound like it was actually pretty quick yeah it was only like a day or so yes but i think that there were shots that there were stunt shots shot without him. Yeah. 
So maybe this is an example. Yeah. I don't know. So it's unfortunate, but luckily it's not like Goose walks around in a full cast for the entire rest no. of his time. And I'm not sure. I mean, did he not really break his leg or does this take place over a greater span of time than than I thought it did? But he seems to heal up awfully fast. Yeah. Yeah, he does. You know, it's those those crazy goose healing powers that apparently are a thing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Tell that to Goose from uh, Top Gun. Yeah, that was a different kind of crash. <laughs> he didn't heal from that crash. <laughs> so that pretty much brings us to the end of this minute. Do you have anything else? No, um, not really. I just, I was impressed by Goose's ability to ride with one leg and to keep such good control over the bike. Um, I know that the style of bike that Goose rides, and it's the same bike, so the style that everybody in the movie rides, is very different than the style you ride. But could you imagine riding your bike the way that Goose is riding his? Uh, no. No, I can't. And I have a lot to say about that next minute, actually, because we see the the end result of him riding in. We'll definitely talk more about that, because in this minute, he kind of rides in. In the next minute, he actually, like, comes to a stop and parks, yeah. and so... I have I have several questions about okay. that situation. Okay. So with that to look forward to, <laughs> our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash madmaxminute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 16. We'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and men are men.